on, on um, Monday I got this word and it was very much a prophetic word from the Lord. And um, uh, in the same way as I knew yesterday's message in Biddulph was a prophetic word, yesterday I shared the story of the guy who is blind in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, and Jesus has to lay hands on him multiple times. And as a preacher, you, you put throwaway comments out, and I say, the scriptures I've referenced leading to this one, they help teach the point, but this one I feel is prophetic for someone in this room. I didn't know, but at the end of my ministry, somebody came to me and said, I have a blind eye. It's virtually got no sight in it. And he sees like a black, I don't, is there any ophthalmologist in here who understands why he would see a huge black uh, space? Like there's nothing, no vision, and virtually everything's eclipsed in the right eye. <clears throat> My message was saying, and I was teaching on healing, I was expecting to move in healing and miracles afterwards. I was saying that some of you are going to get healed today instantly, and I give references in the Bible, references in life. Some of you, it's going to be that you get healed on the way. I gave references in my experience and from the Bible. And then some of you, it's going to take multiple times, like Jesus, to lay hands on you. And so I'm laying hands on this guy towards the end, and he's sat on the chair. It's very low-key. I'm not hamming it up, just saying things like, be healed in Jesus' name. And, he, and he's covering the good eye and going like this. Nah, pray again. Nah, pray again. Nah, pray again. Nah, pray again. I must pray for about 10 times until the Holy Spirit said to me, go and sit down, Stephen. And you've got to do what the Holy Spirit says. That's the key to effective Christian life. These are the children of God, those who are led by the Spirit of God. So then I'm ministering deliverance to a woman in the corner. She gets a demon cast out of her, and she feels wonderfully free. She describes the experience of it like coming through a black tunnel and then uh, coming out of it, and she felt lighter in her spirit, felt happy. All the anxiety and the depression that was all over her life had come off in terms of the emotionality of that. And then this guy taps me on the shoulder, who God told me to sit down, and I didn't think it had worked. Because I'm fine with that. It's not me who does any of the stuff. He said, you wouldn't believe this, but I'm like the guy in the story. He said, I can see stuff that I didn't used to see, and I want you to finish the job off. Okay, so we prayed again. And everything but a fingernail. So he said, hold out your hand. He said, I wouldn't be able to see any of that. He said, it's just my finger, your fingernails I can't see now on your hand. The black blob had gone, and we prayed till he was restored. And then there was the finest residue left to be healed. Isn't that amazing? Isn't Jesus wonderful? And it was on, and the, I, I share that story because in the same way that God laid that prophetic word on my heart for that church, God has laid this scripture on my heart over a week ago. In fact, was it Tuesday, not Monday? I came to Rachel and said, I've got the word already. I know what God wants me to preach. And I was all smiley, wasn't I? And happy. It's always good as a preacher to get your word at the top of the week. And um, it's one of them, actually, in many respects, I think my mum could do a better job than me teaching on Ruth. She's got it. I mean, Dave and um, Anna and their DC group are studying Ruth. And um, Dave said, you know, what was the question you asked me? What, what is an epaphrodite? Was it? What was, he said, "What's an epaphrodite?" I said, "Don't know." <laughs> You've got to be honest, haven't you? I said I'd have to look it up. And so I said, "My mum would probably know because she studied Ruth quite deeply." Peter Davis would definitely know because he absolutely loves Ruth, and we love Peter Davis in this house, don't we? Give me a wave if you love Peter Davis. 
Yay. I'm going to get... Peter's coming back twice in August, to my knowledge. We love Peter Davis. Oh, my heart's so warm to that man. And um, I, I, I think today, rather than needing to drill down into the genius of Hebrew scholarship or exegesis of the Old Testament, I'm just going to keep it simple. Is that all right? Because I'm not Peter Davis and I've not gone deep, deep into study of Ruth like my mother. Is that okay? Hallelujah. Some of you are like, thank, thank the Lord. <laughs> He's going to keep it relatively simple. Um, I'm just going to read chapter one. Naomi loses her husband and sons. In the days when the judges ruled, there's a famine in the land. We got, yeah, we've got the slide on. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Epaphrathites, Dave, from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth, and they had lived there about ten years. But Marlon and Kilion also died and Naomi was left without her two sons and a husband. Verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show, your kind, show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who, come, who can become your husbands, return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grow up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. As they wept aloud again, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people <clears throat> will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Pleasant. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem. Here's the key phrase. If you're reading it, I hope some of you are reading it. Thank the Lord. As the barley harvest 
was beginning. Can we just say that line again just to be cheesy and Pentecostal? I know he said Pentecostal then. That would have really helped some people who are not from that tradition originally. As the barley harvest was beginning. Hallelujah. And the word I have on my heart today is that this is a turning point. This is a turning point for many in this room. This is a turning point for many in the church globally. We are at a crucial point. I believe there is a laboring in childbirth. I believe that what's coming on the church in the future um, is going to be so wonderful, like the birth of a baby, that all the pains of the recent landscape that we've been walking through will be forgotten as God presents himself amongst the people and manifests his glory in a way we've never seen before in this nation. Did you hear that? It's not something that I partially believe. I 100% believe with no doubt. God is going to turn up to burn up and make all things new. Hallelujah. Are you with me on that? Does anyone have faith for that? Has anyone heard the Lord say that to them in their devotions? Have you seen it in the spirit? It's coming. Nothing can stop the flood that's coming. And I mean that in a positive way. Nothing can stop the tide of what God's about to do in this nation and the nations of the world. Nothing can stop it because God's good. This was prophesied by Wigglesworth. It was prophesied by Jean Darnell. It was prophesied by many other good people who hear the voice of God. It's coming, and we'll probably see it in our lifetime, but there's a caveat in that. God's willing to pass over a generation to fulfill his purposes. I'll mention this again in a minute. God's willing to pass over a generation to fulfill his purposes. You'll see in a minute from a scripture read that he can also change his mind. You might think that's not biblical. It is. An intercession is vital. To make sure the Lord blesses this generation and doesn't choose in his own independent, righteous independence to choose another generation. Because he's outside of time, he can do whatever he wants, he's got. Ruth made the right choice at her turning point experience and moved in the direction of her harvest. Can I, before I read anything more from my notes, say there are people in this room who God has a bright future for, who are at a crucial point in their journey. And so you've got to hear this word today because it's for you from the Lord. It's irrespective of who's delivering it. It is a crucial point in your journey. Many Christians are at a turning point presently. I believe the church globally, as I've said, is at a turning point and the harvest is at stake. Their harvest, not just the global harvest, their harvest is at stake. Their destiny is at stake. Listen, the Bible says in Revelation 12, 12, easy to remember that Satan is going about raging because he knows his time is short. Some translations say his appointed time is short. In the Galatians 6, 9 text that I read in a minute, it talks about an appointed time because in God, everything has an appointed time. One day he will push the button and stop and return and judge the living and the dead. And all of us will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account for the things done in the body, whether good or evil. Not just pastors and leaders that face the judgment seat of Christ. It is all people. Not for salvation, but for rewards. For, not for judgment, but for rewards for the Christian believer. But still, lot, rewards can be lost. First Corinthians 3 tells us that people can escape through fire. We're standing up with just their selves and their clothes can be lost if they don't sow for eternity in this life. I'm saying that out of love, not to hurt you, not to crush you, not to trouble you. But it's right to live with every moment, every breath, every word, every deed, God's way for his glory in this lifetime, knowing that I and you live with the sight of a judgment coming. 
I live that way. That's how I think. That's how I'm thinking now. That's how I operate. Teachers will receive a stricter judgment, James 3.1. Hebrews 13.17, leaders will give an account to God for the care of his people, but there is a caveat for God's people too. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And it's imperative we obey God. It's imperative we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's imperative that we are led by the Spirit, for these are the children of God, particularly as the enemy is so rampant in these days to dismantle churches and leaders and people of God. It's time to rise up and persevere in the things of God, church. There are people at a turning point who are thinking about turning away from the Lord at this time in the nations. There are people, pastors, who are thinking about leaving the ministry. There are people in churches who are thinking about moving away from churches. There are people in jobs who God has planted them in there to be effective in their workplace, and they're thinking of leaving the job because of the persecution in the workplace. There are children. It wasn't mentioned by Vicky because I told her that I wanted to safeguard the kids, and she would have done that anyway because she's sensible, but some of the kids she ministered to have a suicidality about them. There are kids wanting to push the button on their life and destroy their life because of Satan's agenda and assignment on their life. It's very common in some nations, largely amongst men underneath the age of 21. Suicidality is a spirit. It's a demon. And the devil is trying to steal, kill, and destroy not just the church, but people made in the image of God. It was a joy to be on the streets yesterday. I love engaging with unbelievers. A drunken man came to me with the biggest Alsatian I've ever seen. Well, nearly. I've seen one bigger. <laughs> Before I stroked the dog, I said to him, will he take my hand off? <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's not many dogs you ask that question. He just had a fight with another dog. Shows the boldness that comes on you when you're sharing the gospel. This man, slurring his words, said, your lot have already spoken to me. It's all right. I said, don't worry. I just want to talk to you a little while. Prayed with him. Can I stroke your dog? Will I have my hand off? Stroked his dog. He was warm towards me. Came in close. I was able to convey the love of Jesus to him. What's my point in telling you that little story? Everyone, no matter how broken, is made in the image of God and is precious to the Lord. I love going up to the most wretched people in society and sitting with them in the dirt, beggars on the street. I love getting, there's a video of my family sitting with someone in Chester, Lewis with his arm around a girl who had a demon cast out of us, her by her family. She's alive, she's given her life to Jesus on the street. I think she's since died, actually. I was told by some friends who lead church in Chester. We were able to meet with her on the streets because Jesus loves people. Not church people or good people. Jesus just loves people. I saw a Satanist yesterday on the street. She had a wonderful, elaborate piece of jewellery that had a Baphomet sign, a pentagram with the satanic goat head on her. And I always go for those people because they're spiritual. Oh, great, a Satanist. Let me go. And I said, you're on the wrong team. It's the best thing I said. <laughs> I said, you do, know you, you do know you don't win. So you're a Satanist? She said, yeah. I said, you do know you don't win. And I said, you won't get any love off your boss. You only get love from Jesus and he loves you. He wants a relationship with you. She said, I want to keep my look. So you can keep your look. Just get rid of the Baphomet thing on your neck and turn your life over to Jesus. Can I pray for you? Come on, give me a high five. Satanist high five in me in the streets. <laughs> let me pray for you. You're going to stand there and let me pray for you? Prophesied over about a mother. She's like tearing up with the black makeup. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I high fived a Satanist on the streets. But what I'm trying to say to you is the love of God. For you, for me, 
for the whole world. God so loved the world. It's good to be part of the winning team, isn't it? Amen? <laughs> the irony of me talking to that Satanist and saying, you, know, you do know you lose, don't you? And Jesus wins. You're on the wrong team. She said, yes. I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, it's a bit like one of those people who support a really naff football team and they turn up faithfully. Come on. And they know they're going to lose. They're just going to get pie, get fatter and get depressed at the score. It's like, what are you doing? But she was open. And do you know, as she walked away from this, she said, I had a really good experience talking to you. As she's walking off. Because love breaks through. There's a joy. People at a turning point experience. That girl was at a turning point experience. And God wants us as Christian individuals to be excited about the days we're living in. It's like that old ancient text. Is it the tale of two cities? It was the best of times and the worst of times. We're, I prefer to think about the fact that we're in the best of times. I don't think there's ever been a better opportunity for the gospel than now, post-COVID. Next 10 years are going to be so key. 20, 2021, I had a dream in January, and the Lord announced as I came out of the dream 10 years. 10 years. It was a powerful great dream. The first thing I said as I came out of the dream was, praise the Lord, glory to God, because his presence was filling my room. I knew it was a God word. And I knew this season we're in now is a key time for harvest. It's a key time for the gospel. You know, God can wait for generations, having said that. He can change his mind, you know. Oh, that's not scriptural, Steve. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's, he's, he's a personality. He can be grieved. He can get angry. He talks about his fierce displeasure. It's not unrighteous to be angry, by the way. It's what you do with your anger. Anger's an emotion. It says, in your anger, do not sin. God can pass over people who he wanted to use and wait for another generation to come through. Thankfully, his mind can also be changed too by good people who intercede. Let me read you an example of that. In Exodus 32, verses 9 to 14, it says, I have seen these people. It's after the golden calf incident. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Did you see the way that God divided Moses from the people? But Moses sought, this is the heart of the shepherd here. Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God and said, Why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by yourself, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky, and I'll give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then, here you go, verse 14, key. Then the Lord relented. Did you see how he changed his mind? Moses, the man of God, changed the mind of God. God was intent on destroying the people. And God did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Without reading it and going down another alleyway, 1 Corinthians 10 says that 
that these are warnings for Christians in this day so that we would not fall as they did. They were grumbling and complaining against Moses. They were doing things that were immoral. But Moses, the exemplar pastor, prayed and interceded for the people that they would not be destroyed. And God changed his mind. And God took his people, not Moses, his people, into the promised land under Joshua, of course. Can I ask you a question? Where are the intercessors in this room? I'm hoping that's provoked at least one person in this room. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that because I don't believe they are. I know we've got intercessors in the room. It's meant to be rhetoric that provokes you, intercessor, in this room. Where are the intercessors in this room? Where are the women and the men? I'm tempted to, I won't, you know who you are, intercessors, who will pray for this generation, who will pray for the church in this generation, who will pray for leaders and churches and the nation, spiritual climate. Where are the people who will labor in prayer like the midwife that's going to see the birth? Do you know there was a beautiful black woman who came to me at the end of the service she was a young woman. She came over to me and she said, man of God, that's how they address me. The honor culture in African nations is amazing. She said, man of God, she said, I was praying for you from the back for the whole service while you're ministering. The Lord wouldn't release me to stop doing that. She said, now I've been released. I've come for prayer myself. Where are the intercessors? Where are the people who will contend for other people's ministries? I remember being in Bisper Methodist with a man who was from St. Helens, Elam at the time. And there was a traveling evangelist come to preach at Bispo Methodist decades ago, 30 years ago-ish. I went and prayed with this man from St. Helens in the vestry while the visiting evangelist ministered. The visiting evangelist came into the vestry after the service with his eyes glowing. He asked us this. He said, will you follow me around with my ministry as I travel through the nation? And I asked him the question, why is that? He said, I was freer tonight than I've ever been. And the power of God was on me. I paraphrase. Intercession works. Prayer works. That man felt the impact of our prayers in the vestry, distinct from the way he normally experiences ministry. Give me a wave if you believe this. This is why Suzette Hattinge was recruited by Reinhard Bonnke to war in prayer while he did his crusades. So I, Leonard Ravenhill had a chief intercessor that James reminds me of. Remind me of his name, James. Daniel Nash. Thanks, mate. I got Daniel Nash. He used to pray so much for the ministry of Leonard Ravenhill. Before Leonard Ravenhill would have a crusade, he would go to the, the city where Leonard would be preaching, and he would intercede in the basement or the room, hotel room, wherever he was, for Leonard Ravenhill's ministry. He was so full of the Holy Spirit, fasting and praying all the time, seeking the face of God. He would come out occasionally and scare his landlady because the glow of God was all over him, because he'd been with God. He would target people in the city who were the worst people, specifically interceding that they would come to faith before Leonard would do the Crusades. Leonard was the precursor to all the modern evangelicalism of the 21st and 20th century. People like Billy Sunday, D.L. Moody, Billy Graham, and so on into the healing revivalists of the 50s, Jack Coe and people like that. It was Ravenhill who saw the Third Great Awakening after the Wesleys and the Edwards and Whitfields. It was Leonard Ravenhill who formalized revival meetings 
and wrote systematic theology and carried an anointing to touch America in a way that few have. He was the father of modern revival ministry. And it's down to the intercession of Daniel Nash. No Daniel Nash, no Leonard Ravenhill. No Suzette Hattinge, no Rana Bonke. I really believe that. I believe in the power of intercession. I believe that the church needs to rediscover its intercessory heart. I believe there are people in this room, as I'm speaking these words, you're being stirred by the Holy Ghost to be an intercessor, to contend as midwives, to birth what's coming. And I ask you to not just be stirred now and then forget about it. Write in your diary, write in your Bible, write on your computer, determine to birth the baby. Does that make sense? I said I was going to be short, but I prefer to go with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> One day, maybe. <laughs> Let me give you three examples of why Ruth was blessed to become part of the lineage of Jesus Christ and to have an incredible destiny, which is God's purpose over life in chapter four of the four chapters in Ruth. The first reason that Ruth was blessed of God is that Ruth followed the presence of God. Ruth followed the presence of God. I wonder, where is your turning point now if this is relating to you? Whatever decisions hang over your life right now, wherever that is and whatever that means for you, my instruction to you is you should go after the presence of God. Some people say go where you're celebrated. I say go where the spirit leads. Amen? Because these are the children of God, those who are led by the spirit of God. Verse 16 of the chapter we just read, Ruth replied, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from you, Naomi. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Satan will always try to abort your destiny. Even though Naomi was a good person, I believe that she didn't have the mind of God for Ruth. Good advice is not always God advice. Ruth saw something of the Lord in Naomi who was embittered to the point where she arrived into her own village. They asked the question, could this be Naomi? Naomi is not just so bitter in her, appearance, in her heart. She's bitter in her appearance. She says, don't call me Naomi call me Mara, call me bitter. The Lord has dealt so harshly with me, they didn't even recognize her. Can you imagine the grief that literally changes the appearance of the person so that they don't even have their local people recognizing her? Because emotionality affects appearance. Circumstances affect health. And this is what's going on with Naomi. But she doesn't have the mind of God. She's told Ruth to leave her. And she also says, the Lord did this to me. Can I say that's one of the biggest temptations of the devil when you go through things? That the Lord's left me. God's done it to me. God's doesn't, God doesn't care. All of that is the breath of Satan. And it's not the truth. God loves you, God cares about you, God has a plan for your life, your future is bright. Wherever you are, 
the best is yet to come. That's fact for the Christian. That's a fact, a biblical fact. The best is always yet to come. But my point in this is that Ruth followed the presence. It was only a flicker of the fire of God. This woman was disfigured spiritually. She was broken by her circumstances. She had nothing left in the tank. She'd had three grievous moments where she lost her husband and her two sons. This is horrific. But Ruth saw the faint flicker of the presence of God on the woman of God. You feel wretched today, some of you. But someone without Christ will see Jesus in you. Isn't that wonderful? Your life has influence. Your life carries Jesus into a dark world. You have the light of the world in you. Whatever you're going through right now. And that makes you an effective and a dangerous person to the kingdom of darkness. And Satan would love you to buy into the lie that God's rejected you, that God's abandoned you, that God doesn't care. All of that is the breath of Satan. God is for you. God loves you. God has a plan for your life. Your future is bright. Jesus is making a way where there seems to be no way. Isn't the Lord good? Even as I'm preaching, I mean, it might not be making you happy. I'm preaching myself happy here. I feel the joy of the Lord bubbling up as I'm telling them. It just happens. Sometimes I just I get, I get joy just by saying the truth. Naomi followed the faint flicker of the fire of God. One day, that fire would become a raging forest fire, that blessings would flow out of it for a whole life, that she would come into an incredible destiny. It's a shift of metaphor away from harvest, but ultimately, the flicker on Naomi led her into the blessing of the full heat of God's provision. Can I just say Galatians 6, 9 over you? It says, let us not become weary in doing good for at proper time or in due time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Orpah and Ruth had a choice. Orpah gave up, she went back. Ruth carried on because she didn't give up because she followed the flicker of the fire of God she ended up into a place where the barley harvest became her portion. Can I say to you that the word proper time or due time in your translations, whatever you have there, is the word idios. And in this context, it means specially assigned. The specially assigned time. In other words, the God-planned time. In the due time, in the specially assigned time, in the God-planned time, a harvest is coming and Ruth was about to enter into it. The scripture that I just read to you says, let us not become weary in doing good. For in the God-assigned, God-appointed time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Did you see the if clause? Your harvest is at stake with the choices of your present situation. I believe this is a prophetic word for some people. The Bible says we should continue to do good in that verse. The word is kalon for, for good. And it's this idea of good, right, beautiful, fine, and excellent. If you can find anything that's good, right, beautiful, fine, or excellent to do for Jesus, get on with it. Get on with it. Sometimes you don't even need to pray about certain things. You just know that it's a good thing to do. 
We had, we had a meal with a couple last night, an elder and his wife at this church. You know when people are really humble? And, they've, and this, past, this man had been a pastor for years and he'd been chewed up in ministry and they spat him out. His church had traumatized him and his wife, but he carried an anointing of love and pastoral care that was so sweet, so tender, and his wife, with joy all over her face, served us a beautiful meal. Do you know what it's like to be... It's a different thing to someone cook for you and someone cook for you who loves you. Do you know what I mean? She cooked well, and I'm used to good cooking, from being a boy. But she homemade pizza, stretched the dough herself, great salad. It's in heaven. But she did it with love. It was a good thing for her to do. And she did it unto the Lord. And I was enriched and blessed. I was leaving the church last night and a Slovakian man who'd come to me in the church line told me about how he'd broken his family in Slovakia and he'd broken the heart of God. I think there was infidelity. That's what I was sensing in the Lord. He'd asked for the forgiveness of the Lord in the line. And the power of God hit him like a train. And he was filled with the joy of the Lord as he came to me. And he just kept saying, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Pastor. I love you, Jesus. And he was just so full of God. I, I was leaving the building, and he came back into the building, having gone away, left the service. The service had run on for a long time. He'd been at the cash point, And the Lord said, give the man of God 20 pounds. About the, about the amount I've put in the tank for petrol going down there. He'd come back, turned to the church. said, the Lord's told me to give you this, 20 quid. He said, I'm not taking no for answer. This is for you. He said, it's going to be a blessing to me, whether I'm not asking for money. It's just happened to me last night. He did a good thing. He loved me. It was a, it was a gesture of thankfulness for my ministry. It was kindness. It's an example. It's an example of one of the ways the bread the money. You, you think about how you can love and serve your neighbours. You think how you can love and serve your family. What could you do? I remember telling you about my next door neighbour. We have had such a journey from his brokenness to the point where he recently, a couple of weeks ago, asked me to bury him when he dies. Will you be my vicar at my funeral? That's how Jesus can change people's hearts from one day threatening to punch me on the nose to now being my best friend who he cuddles. He doesn't cuddle anyone else. He never cuddled anyone, he says. Cuddles me most of the time we meet because he knows I love him. And we once baked cakes at Christmas time, took them around the streets just to love people. What can you do for your neighbours? What can you do for your family? What can you do for your church? Not everything is charisma i.e. by the power of the Spirit, some of it's practical love and care. And by the way, it's very easy to project onto others what they should be doing. 
and where they should be with the Lord. That's none of your business. It's entirely your business to sort your own heart and life out and make sure you're living as unto the Lord. The Bible says we will reap a harvest if we faint not. So Ruth followed the presence and the due time came upon her. Second thing is Ruth persevered in serving. In chapter 2, verses 5 to 10, it says, Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does this young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the woman who worked for me, women who worked for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground and she asked him, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Can we go back to the original slide, Martin? Favour falls on faithfulness. I'll say that again. Favour falls on faithfulness. You only know if you're faithful if you persevere when the storms come. Character is tested in the storms, not the sunlight. It's very easy to be a fair-weather Christian on the good ship lollipop of the church. But when you're a rescue boat and the storms start crashing around and the waters come over the boat, you find out who you are, you find out who other people are, in a sense, and then you find out who has the character to persevere when the storms come. Favour falls on faithfulness. And God smiles on faithfulness. God likes persevering people. God tests character. God allows circumstances. God allows us to go through the fire so what's in us comes out so he can heal and deliver and change our character. Faithful people find favour at the end of their faithfulness. You know, what's interesting to me in that passage I've just read, because Ruth not only followed the presence, she also persevered in serving. And because she was faithful in serving, God provided for and protected her. When you're faithfully serving, and I, I, I intend to go in the kitchen today to model this, because we all need to roll our sleeves up because it's an emergency season. And some people are off sick, some people have left us. It's a commonplace across the church. Every pastor I speak to, the church was there last night. We're no different to most churches. Thankfully, there are churches that are booking the trend. A church called Rygate Baptist is, uh, I think it started at 200, it's now 500. Gav Calver told us about this. Praise the Lord. Is that good? I rejoice in that church's fruitfulness. But most churches are suffering post-COVID. But I want to say to you that we must stay faithful, serving in the local house that God's assigned us to, unless the Lord's moving you out, which is fine. But stay faithful if you're called to be here. Um, Naomi heard the story of her daughter Ruth, gleaning in a field where Boaz has told her that no man's going to put the hands on her. She's protected. 
And she's also going to be able to take a drink whenever she needs it with the water that's been filled. Isn't that good? She was allowed to take any of the, the, the gleaning that she wanted. She went back with an ether of grain, I think it was. Heavy weight. God really blessed her faithfulness. God really blessed her perseverance in a difficult time. Can I say to you, if you're persevering against the storm, God will bless you. Not just now, but in a tremendous way in the future. It's birthing something amazing for you. It's the labor pains that Mandy spoke about. Ruth followed the presence. Ruth persevered in serving. Number three, Ruth persevered in obeying. Chapter three, verses one to six. It says, one day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. Now, Boaz, who was with the women, with the women you have worked as a relative of yours. Tonight you'll be winnowing barley in the thresh. He will be winnowing barley in the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Do you see the instructions of the matriarch? She was. Ruth's leader. Verse 5 says, and this is Ruth's righteous response, I will do whatever you say. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Can I ask this question? Because I see on the internet, it's one of the reasons I've come off Facebook, there's many reasons. But there's a lot of people who market themselves into ministry instead of being faithful in the small things. Where are the Elishas that have washed the hands of Elijah? Where are the people who will do things in the shadows before they're released into the sunlight? In Elam, I have a pastor who's a senior guy who uh, used to be over the region of the northeast and midlands. His name's Gordon Neal. And he used to say this, you cannot have a ministry of your own before you served another man's vision. He said to me, and if you think about that biblically, In most cases, whether it be the disciples or Moses and Joshua or Elisha and Elijah, the release of anointing on a new life only comes when you've served in the shadows. And some people are wanting to cut that out and get the anointing and get the ministry and get the website before they've done a lot in serving another man's vision or another woman's vision or whatever God's placed you in whatever context you're gifted. Does this make sense? The release of God comes when the Lord sees faithfulness. Favor falls on faithfulness and people persevere following authority. God will bless them. Every voice, listen, every voice or attitude that undermines authority is witchcraft. You know, obedience is not a dirty word in the Bible. Obedience is required of God's people. If you read Hebrews 13, 17, it says, and it looks self-serving, but I'm preaching the truth, so I have a release to do it. It says, obey your leaders. Oh, that's heavy shepherding. No, it's scriptural. If he tells you what colour to have your curtains or whether you can go to the cinema, get out of the church. But if he's asking you to lead or she's asking you to lead a particular area in a particular way and they're your leaders, obey them or leave the church. That's the truth of scripture. If you can't obey leaders in the setting where you live or work, whether it's the workplace, whether it's a policeman, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a parent then you need to check your heart is under the authority of the Lord because scripture demands that of us. Can you imagine a society 
where the honour culture of heaven comes in through honour, submission and obedience. You see, this is the necessary glue that holds society together and brings honour from heaven to earth. What I say to you is the truth and based on what the Lord's revealed to me. You see, as I said with Elisha and Elijah, God only promotes those who honour. The world would be heaven on earth if people obeyed leaders. Policemen wouldn't have people giving them jip on the streets. Teachers wouldn't have rebellious kids in the classroom. Parents wouldn't have heartbreak over children's words. Leaders and pastors would have their job as a joy and not a burden. Scripture says when there's dishonor of leaders, it creates a burden for the leader that would not be profitable for the people. We've got to make sure that we're not contributing to that. And again, this is the truth. The blessing of destiny comes on Ruth's life. She followed the presence. She persevered in serving. She persevered in obeying and did all that Naomi commanded. Then the blessing of destiny was released on her. See, the harvest is at stake, and these are the things that must be done in order to get where God wants you. Your harvest hangs in the balance. Your destiny hangs in the balance. As I was writing this bit, I'm about to read to you, the Spirit of God came on me, and I know this is anointed for some people in this room. Some of you have an incredible plan hanging over your lives. An incredible plan. May you achieve them by the grace of God and not miss your harvest through giving up or turning the wrong way. If you're called to this house, stay in the house. If you're called to another house, God bless you. If you're called to stay in your job, serve well as unto the Lord. If the Lord's calling you out, God bless you. But it must be led by the Spirit. These are the children of God, those who are led by the Spirit of God. And if we learn to live in the dynamic of following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, what happens to Ruth will be our portion too, that our destiny will be blessed. Chapter 4, verse 13 says, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David, who was the line of Jesus. Do you see how following the flicker of the flame of God on Naomi's life led her into a context where she persevered serving, she obeyed leadership, and she came to a place where in time God, along the framework of the way he expects his people to live, brought the harvest and the blessing. It's lovely having babies in this church. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Paul, can we have a song? Now, I'm teaching that what I do is expository preaching here. I go through the word and ask what the word is saying. Nothing of that was with agenda or because I'm feeling particular things. It's what I believe the scripture to say and is the truth. So you must understand and see my heart as it stands before the Lord. Let me pray for you and then let us worship. And you can make your own response to God. But don't allow the scripture, if the word has convicted your heart, don't allow the word to evaporate. 
The Bible says if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. It's really important that you respond to God's word and think, what should I do in response to God's word? Not should, what should I do in response to Stephen or what he thinks? What should I do in response to God's word? Which particular part of that message ministered to you, convicted you, challenged you, encouraged you? This is what you need to take away from this meeting. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for new beginnings in this house. Thank you for open doors. Thank you for blessing coming. Uh, Thank you for the joy of the Lord that will be our strength. Thank you for open doors for this church, for new beginnings, for holiness coming in the house. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the way you're going to turn lives upside down and round about and bring new beginnings. Lord, this is a day that the Lord has made. Thank you, Lord, that this church is a blessed church. Thank you, Lord, that this is a storehouse church. You said that to me when I arrived, that in a time of spiritual famine, Lord, people will come to this house to be refreshed in the oasis that you produce for your glory. Thank you, Lord, that you've not left this house. You're for this house and its people, and you love family church. We bless you and pray, Lord, that every heart and every life would be touched by your spirit today under the sound of my voice. You'd heal hearts, mend lives, and show people the bright future you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen.